Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Good afternoon. This is Kyle Maloney with the Savage to Sage uh, co-host podcast, and uh, excited to uh, welcome Matt Spear on the show today. He is the founder of Live Indie, and we're excited to hear and uh, about his journey and have him on the show. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. You have done a lot in a short period of time. And uh, just looking at kind of your bio, uh, you know, you've started a property management advisory, uh, Live Indie, Live Labs IO, Spear Capital Holdings, a lot of stuff. Uh, can you kind of give me a kind of a concise bio of the companies that you founded and the path that you're on here today? Yeah, absolutely. It, when you read it out loud like that, it, it sounds like a lot, but just chronologically, I feel like it, it all played out and made a lot of sense. So I, I'll take you back to my time at Butler. So I was an entrepreneurship and uh, innovation major there along with finance. Uh, and that's really when my entrepreneurial itch you know, really started to come through. I started a, a, a tech company, or at least I thought I was, you know, it was a tech company. It ended up being a failure. Uh, my senior year, we made so many mistakes. I, I could dig into that. But that really got my mind set on software and technology. And so I started my career at Bluebridge Digital up in Fishers. It was a really great experience. I think I was employee number 20 or 30, something like that. And I was doing uh, business development and then account management, you know, uh, sales. But I knew I had, you know, I had that entrepreneurial mindset still in the background. And I wanted to build my own future and build my own wealth and have my own freedom and, and, and all those things that come with entrepreneurship. And so I ended up quitting that job and jumped into real estate full time. I'd been doing it on the side a little bit. And I built up a, a real estate portfolio with some partners. Then I needed property management. And then I decided to build a property management company. And then now it's all come full circle with property management advisory, which is a basically a tech solution for property managers. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, and as you said, quite logical as far as how you kind of went about doing that. That's amazing. So tell me about your current company. Would that be kind of the Live Indie or... I mean, know that you, they all kind of play with each other, but can you tell me kind of the current company that you spend most of your time focusing on? Yeah. So I've spent most of my time on the company property management advisory. We started livelabs.io, which is the, the holding company or parent company, which is a foundational database of all the residential property managers in the nation, um, which gives us a really unfair advantage, I think, just from like a sales prospecting perspective. And we have some really interesting business intelligence data just on the general space. We ended up leveraging that data and that information to enter the market with property management advisory. And so we're a software as a service solution for property management companies, uh, residential property managers, and we help provide growth tools for property management businesses. And we start with their website. And so at a core level, you know that's my focus day to day. I'm I'm really more passive and strategic with Libindi in terms of the property management company. But I think wearing those two hats 
I'm able to really resonate well with our our new customers because they know I'm a property management company owner. They know my property management company manages manages my own investments. And so that I think allows me to have quite a bit of empathy um, with our new customers, which is which has been nice to you know have a little bit easier of a, a path in terms of the selling. <laughs> yeah, that makes tons of sense. And when I was on the website, I noticed that I mean, which is key for uh, real estate right now is kind of a you know investment on ramp as well. Can you tell a little bit more about that? In terms of like the the live indie side of things, or just to understand, yeah, I think it was on the live indie website. Like, there's definitely kind of on ramps for just investors um, and those types of things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's a good question. So, live indie really serves investor minded people. So, you know, whether that's someone that has a property, you know, it could have been their home, and they need to move to Chicago or move somewhere else, and they decide, hey, you know, what if we became landlords and rented out the property? All the way to, you know, when I first got started, when I was at Blue Bridge doing investments in real estate on the side, I was working with a lot of out of state investors, like the persona, you know, like the California investor that wants to buy cash flow producing assets in Indianapolis. And you know, I was that boots on the ground resource for them. And so, really, we, we kind of I carry through that experience and I like helping both, you know, both personas. And so, Live Indie manages property for. Um, for both types of those, you know, those investors. That's great. That's great. So, okay, I'm I'm sorry for going back and forth here, but now for property management advisory, what would you say is the main problem that you guys are solving uh, with that company? Yeah, and so I mean, kind of taking a step back in terms of the property management industry as a whole, it's in a lot of ways like what you would imagine, what one would think about in terms of you know, property management. It's behind the times for sure. When it comes to technology, there are, you imagine the type of person running a property management company and it's probably pretty spot on. Um, and, and so there's a lot of challenges that these property management company owners face, but in a lot of ways, they don't have the tools or the experience to, you know, take them head on. So like an example of that, like we're, we're creating their websites, but that sounds so mundane, but in reality, every property management company, you know, a lot of these are million, multi-million dollar businesses, and they don't have within the inherent business model to have a chief technology officer or a chief marketing officer. Or in a lot of times, they don't even have anyone on staff that can can do that. And so we're really bringing that mindset and those skills to them at a core level, which starts with their website and. Right now, there's also a consolidation happening, a roll-up that's happening in the industry where there's big Wall Street-backed companies coming in and buying you know, the local property management companies and rolling them up into one brand that's happening on a couple different fronts. And so for these local property management companies like LiveIndy, my, my business, how do we compete with that unless we have similar tools and resources? And so by starting with the website, we really... You know, we think of the website and their CRM, you know, like, you know, they collect rent maintenance requests, that, that kind of thing. By connecting those two together, we think about it like the heart and the brain of the bit, their business. And so by being connected to those integral pieces of their, their business, it allows us to stack tools and resources on top, you know, for those property management company owners, really coming back to that CTO, CMO 
outsourced mindset. That makes tons of sense. Yeah. And it's, it's such a, the opportunity, right? Like someone, someone just coming off the street, walks into a property management company's office. They're not going to think, Hey, this is the solution you're, you guys are missing, you know? And so my background, you know, you read it off at the beginning and it, 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 you know, like I'm imagining it being on like a LinkedIn or a table where it's just like this to this to this. But if I didn't have each component of that background and experience, you know, the opportunity of what I'm working on right now would have, would have not made sense. It wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been something that, you know, I would have been passionate about, but you know, now today it's all I think about, you know, it's helping these property management company owners grow their business just because I know how challenging that was for me. Oh, that's great. So out of the need, you're able to be able to provide the solution, the industry that needs it. Yeah. And I I was banging my head against the wall myself. You know, we were looking for solution vendors that could do things like SEO or website could, you know, generate, it really all comes down to leads for a property management company. The interesting thing about property management is that it's business model is very similar to SaaS. It's recurring revenue. You know, it's, standardized functions producing recurring revenue. To have recurring revenue for that to be consistent, you consistently need leads and opportunities. If you can't find a a website vendor that can move you up the Google rankings, like, and if you can't do that yourself, where does it come from? Um, And so just by trial and error, I realized that there was a big need in the market for what, you know, what what I ended up finding Britain, my co-founder CTO with property management, advisory and live labs he's really the the brains behind our tech and you know the seo content experience which allows us to to really move the needle but first we moved the needle for live indie and realized hey i think we can do this you know for other people that's great that's great I love how you draw the distinction between the SaaS company and then property management i mean that, that's that's really really that's really cool yeah, people think of like toilets and repairs with property management, but it's it's you know it, it's a pretty cool business model. I mean, if if you know you're an advocate or you're passionate about technology, you'd probably be surprised with if you really got into it with property management. There's so many similarities. That's great, and I agree. I, again, I agree with you. There's this outdated function within that industry is totally apparent. And would completely need a facelift to kind of make things more effective. So makes tons of sense. So going kind of like in more of a personal note, what kind of made you, you know, we like to talk here in the Savage Sage podcast that entrepreneurs have to start out kind of as a savage, you know, you kind of have to like have this big idea, go after it and, um, you know, kind of, I'll call it like you just take your vision to the world and get ready to face anything and everything. And that's kind of the savage part. But then along the way, you kind of become a sage through all the, the wounds, the, the lessons, all of those types of things. So what was the main impetus for you to join in entrepreneurship, the, the savage journey? Yeah. And leading up to this conversation, I thought a lot about that. I think for me, it was just like this inherent calling. It's really hard to describe. It's just this feeling. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm at a going back kind of in my career, I'm like at a successful startup, I'm selling, I'm hitting quota, I'm doing well. 
everything had built up towards, you know, my expensive Butler education, you know, and, and, you know, mom's happy. She's really thrilled with, you know, how that's going. And then I, I quit, I quit. And now I don't have a salary. And if I don't perform, I can't pay my rent, you know, so jumping in, you know, having that savage mindset, I don't know where it came from or why I have it, but I, I know I have it. An example of that, just a funny little story. I think that, you know, your listeners, listeners might find interesting uh, or laugh at a, a bit. When I was at Butler, you know, I think most people, when they need that job on campus to just kind of make ends ends meet, you know, it's like, hey, I'm going to get a job at the bookstore. You know, so you walk <laughs> the bookstore, put a, you know, you get an application and you get the job. Well, I said, I'm going to sell cars on Craigslist, right? Like, <laughs> who, do, who does that? I don't even know how cars work. Like I'm not, I have no experience with vehicles, cars, and, and none of that. So, but I get dead set on doing this. And so long story short here, I, I basically find a guy that had posted a car for $400. And I'm like, this could be a scam, but I have like $500. So my budget's pretty limited. And I remember meeting him over at the IMA um, near campus. And it was... What 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 makes me laugh, kind of in, in hindsight, is it, you know he was a Hispanic guy that didn't speak English very well, like very broken English, um, and so I couldn't understand him very well. And so I was asking questions like, "Does the car run?" and and he he didn't know what I meant, um, <laughs> but I remember going, "Hmm, I think he he got the car here somehow. <laughs> like I think it probably runs." And so I said, "Hey, how much?" On um, this car, your little red car, you know, trash everywhere, beat up, but it, it supposedly it ran. So I gave him the 400 bucks and he had a buddy come and drop him off. He leaves. I get into the car, turn the key, you know, and it turns on it. I was worried for a second, but it turns on. I drive it back to my fraternity in the parking lot. I clean this car up and what, you know, got a, a bucket with water or washing this car up. And then by the end of the night, I posted on Craigslist for $1,200. And uh, that next morning, a guy showed up and wanted to buy the car. And I'll never forget this. He goes, he asked me, he's, you know, because I'm asking him, you know, trying to make small talk why he needs the car. You know, he goes, well, I'm driving to Seattle and I just need a car that'll get me there. And he asked me, he goes, do you think this car will get me there? And my response, critical question. Critical my question. Response, like a lot of salespeople would just be, oh yeah, you're going to get there for hundred <laughs> percent. I guarantee, you know, but I remember my response. I, I said, you know what? I'm not sure, but I feel really good about it. And he laughed, pulls out the 1200 bucks and, uh, you know, that, that was that. And so, you know, that, that kept me from working at the the bookstore for, for that semester. Oh, I love it. That's such a great story, Matt. Oh, it's so great. I can picture it all. That's yeah, so, so but back to your question of like the savage, that mindset, right? I, I think for me, at least, you know, maybe some people are very eloquent and can kind of put a finger on it. But, you know, for me, it's just like a calling. It's like a kind of coding the way I am. And I, and I just, you know, pursue that. And a lot of that's just about the energy and kind of passion I feel from entrepreneurship, you know, selling a deal for a company for someone else and, you know, getting that closed deal and the commission's one thing, but when it's your own vision, you know, when it's just an idea and it becomes a reality and then you're selling that product, um, that's what gets me up in the morning and, and just gives me a lot of excitement. So I just follow it, chase it as much as I can. That's great. And I think you hit on the head kind of the, 
the reoccurring theme that I hear when I talk to entrepreneurs. It's just like, either I can't settle for kind of the norm, or I want to do something different. And I want to kind of be in control of my own destiny. I want to make a change in, in something that I see that's going to be valuable. You know, those kind of, those components are always there for an entrepreneur and they take the leap to actually go and go and do it. So, um, that's really cool. Thanks yeah, for sharing that. And you, you hit it on the head. Another piece of it too, is just the control and the freedom of, you know, being an entrepreneur. So I remember when I was at my first job, you know, in software sales, you know, I had a, I had a manager that I had this, it was probably a crazy idea. Honestly, his response made sense. But I just had this this crazy idea on how we could, you know, execute this marketing plan, you know, that was going to help us book more demos, close more deals. And I put a little proposal together, super excited about this. And I remember his response was something, at least the way I heard it was something to the effect of stay in your lane. Yeah. And I think in the back of my mind, I kind of held on to that and kept that. And so I remember when I when I when I quit, you know, officially gave my I think I gave two weeks or whatever, four weeks notice or whatever. But, you know, that was in the back of my head. And so there's a lot of like that chip on your shoulder mindset, I think, with with entrepreneurs. And I don't know if that, you know, for me, I think I, I reflect back on it. And uh, that chip on the shoulder, I think a little bit was me manufacturing that. So I would have the confidence to actually jump in. And I think that just ties to that calling, right? It's like how is human nature is just trying to make sense of your feelings and actions and, and trying to align the two. Oh, that's great. That's totally great. So talking about this journey, what's been kind of the biggest professional, personal test? And that's been a, and how has it become a great teacher for you? That's a good question, man. Um, biggest test. Um, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in that same, that period of when I, when I quit and jumped in full time, but I would say that probably was, you know, looking back on it, probably the biggest test going from this like life plan where it all makes sense, right? You go to college, you get a job, you know, you start paying your student loans, you have a roommate and, you know, you're working towards buying your first house. Well, you know, for whatever reason, you know, about a year, year and a half into that, I, I jumped, jumped ship, went full-time into you know, if I don't work, if I don't produce value, I can't pay rent. I can't, you know, I can't do those things. And so I think that was my biggest, you know, challenge was that first day waking up and realizing, you know, you've, you've got to start making things happen. Right. Um, <laughs> this is real. That, that, that brings a lot of fear and a lot of negative feelings. But, um, I think when people have pressure and, you know, whatever it is, I mean, there's tons of examples of, you know, just having some sort of pressure motivation that that really brings out the best in people and it i think brought out the best in me both from a professional standpoint but also personally i was i'm probably more fun to be around when i'm working on a fun project right i'm just you know have a lot of energy a lot of passion uh, and that comes through in just my day-to-day life too that's great yeah thank you for that let's transition a little bit over to kind of building a team and a culture uh, kind of within the company that the company is that you founded. One of the things that I noticed, and this is probably the Live Indie website, but you had a strong conviction of core values. How did you like find those core values? Why were they so important for you to kind of establish those for your company? Yeah, the, I really like that question because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, founders struggle with like, 
specifically core values. And it's not that they don't have them. It's just that, you know, the organization behind, you know, clearly stating them. And then more importantly, being able to communicate those core values to, to new team members, you know, because I think having started, you know, multiple companies, you know, from property management into the software, you know, I leveraged the book. I've actually got it right here. You know, I'm working on some stuff right now, but oh, the traction, book, yeah, the book traction. Um, yeah, I, I that really took me to the next level of just being able to like use a process. So I'm very data process like oriented, and so being able to just like follow a system, I think that helped me take the core values I knew that like were there and and put them put them out into the world, um, and that's helped me with recruiting finding people to align with those core values. Like my current, my current focus with property management advisory, my co-founder Britton, you know, we have very similar core values just like personally. And so our business, it's it's a bit of a struggle sometimes. It's mostly a positive, but we're really both very visionary. I can kind of toggle between visionary and implementer. And so if you're not familiar with the terms, it's basically like a dreamer versus like the tactical doer. Us both being dreamers, it allows it kind of causes us to get maybe a little off track sometimes. And so by having a you know this guide with traction through like that EOS kind of mindset, I think that that's what allowed me to communicate those core values and then kind of leverage that into recruitment and building teams. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I've heard so many great things. That is that book has been such a gift to so many startup and scale up companies that I've been in contact with. Um, it's been really neat to see how, the influence that that book has had. So it's really cool. Yeah. And it's interesting, the property management world, again, right? Like I, the tying the two between like software and property management, it, it seems on the surface so disconnected, you know, but I found that the reality is, you know, the recurring revenue of property management and software, it's very, very similarly run businesses. But it's very interesting that these property management company owners, a lot of them use traction, you know, that EOS uh, mindset as well. And so like at conference, it's like really easy to connect and, and like kind of kind of bring those two ideas together when you're working off of the same framework. Oh, that's neat. I didn't know that. I wouldn't expected that either. So that's really cool. Yeah. Like we were in a con- at a conference in like San Antonio to NARPM, the uh, National Association of Residential Property Managers. It was pretty gripping stuff, but no, it, it, it's a lot of fun. So we were at this conference, and one of the main speakers is speaking. You know, he's talking about how traction and EOS helped his business, and he says, "Hey, raising hands, who uses traction?" I've got, you know, and it was probably like twenty or thirty percent of the room. You know, hundreds of people are. I'm like, man, okay. I'm, I was like maybe behind the you know, behind the eight ball a little bit. I, I didn't get it on this as fast as I probably should have. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Okay. So you talked a little bit about it, but you know, we talked about values, but how do you work to recruit, to have people join your team that get it, you know, get kind of what you're trying to accomplish that fit your culture and values. What have been some like really good things that you've done to kind of help that process, facilitate that process? Yeah. So I, I think it's a good segue from just talking about EOS, but we, we look for, I actually read this in a book, Burn Rate by Adam Dunn, uh, okay. the Bonobos founder. He was talking to, in the book, he, he, he was having a problem recruiting 
he, he felt like his team was as it grew and scaled, it wasn't the culture wasn't right. Something was off. They were losing people, and he just could he didn't know what to do. And so I think he talked to Mark Laurie or the, the guy that started. Uh, um, I think it was diapers.com and some other brands had a big, huge exit. He told him this and I'd, I'd realized that I was kind of doing a version of this and I didn't realize it, but he basically said to look and recruit people that have your values, um, which seems so simple, right? It's like, oh, that's the hidden, you know, you need to find people that have your values. But what he would do is he would present the values, you know, basically kind of ask questions specifically around those values make sure that it was a good fit, you know, the get it, want it, you know, competent or capable is the like idea and traction. But then what he would do is offer them two, two options in terms of like the compensation. And one would be more money, like more salary, less equity or no equity. And then the other option would be less salary, more equity, or, you know, some equity. And he would make his decision based on the people that chose the more equity piece because he thought that it meant that they bought in. And so if you're not hiring people and bringing people onto a team that aren't passionate about the core idea, forget about values. Like forget about value. Like if they're not passionate about what the company does and it's just a checkbox, you know, they're just wanting a paycheck, it's it's likely not going to work out. And so I really try to have that same, you know, mindset with, you know, just with my businesses and teams. Uh, makes tons of sense. So basically just stealing his idea, make myself sound cool, but you know, I think it works. So I'm going to roll with it. And uh, another common theme is just, you know, talking to people, it's just people learning. You're not asking for it. You're just going after it, learning and figuring out how to grow your business and, you know, grow yourself in the process. And so that's amazing. Well, and I, I, I think something to add to this is like the reciprocal, right? It's, it's not always about, building your team and hiring, there's sometimes those painful conversations of you know, having to let somebody go. And I think, you know, looking back, I haven't been very good at that, you know, but, you know, that's an area I could probably improve is when someone clearly doesn't align with that passion or those values, it's almost always best to just have that difficult conversation and, and pull the bandaid, bandaid off. Because what I've realized as I've you know, kind of went from this, maybe the savage to the sage, more sage mindset is that a lot of the times these people probably want to be let go, you know, because they, if, if they're not having fun and they're not passionate, you know, I'm, everyone wants to have fun and be passionate with their job. And so in a lot of ways, by pulling that bandaid off, it kind of releases them to go, you know, find that for themselves because not everyone as able or as willing to make those really big decisions. And so I think as a leader of a business, you know, you've got to step up and be able to, to pull that bandaid off. So I'm, I'm working on that a bit, but luckily my current teams, you know, there's no band-aids to be pulled off right now. So I'm fortunate. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the wisdom that I've received through the years has been the necessary endings book, which is, that's by the guy that wrote like boundaries. I think it's Henry cloud and all that. But yeah, necessary endings. And it was just kind of like, you're actually gifting somebody the opportunity to find something else that fits better, you know? And that's kind of the way that it was framed. And I really appreciate it and I actually really subscribe to it because if it's not fitting, like it's not good for anybody, you know? Yeah. And like, it's like absolutely helping them kind of lead them down that path is, is really kind of good for everybody. 
So yeah, I could, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. I, it just made me think of a past experience. Um, so I, I was, I, I needed to let somebody go. Was just, this was several years ago and I was really trying to build up the courage to do this is it, it, you know, it was, I, I wasn't excited about it. So I ended up scheduling a coffee, um, coffee meeting. And I, you know, I was very, just like matter of fact, just send an email. Hey, let's get coffee. Need to chat about something then, you know, later this week. He says, okay, I'll see you there. And uh, I'll never forget this. I show up and super awkward. Like, no, we hadn't discussed what this meeting was about. And he, he reaches down and he picks up the piece, this piece of paper. He says, I'm just going to start, you know, take a look, slides this paper across the little small coffee table. And I, I, I pick it up and I look at it and I'm like, oh, he's resigning. He's like quitting. And <laughs> I'm like embarrassed to even admit this, but um, he said, I'm sure this is what the meeting was about. You're, you're going to let me go. And I, 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 I'm embarrassed to even say this, but I was like, no, no, I wasn't going to let you go. I mean, but if you want to leave. And so I, I pulled, I pulled the parachute because I, I didn't want to have that tough conversation. Um, and, and it's, you know, kind of a funny story now, but you're right. You know, he, he ended up getting a job within a few weeks and he's been there since and he's just been killing it and he's happy and we're still friends. But, you know, it was really on me. I, I probably delayed that that ending for him, that positive outcome for him, probably a month or two when I knew it wasn't a fit several months previous. Uh, and I just didn't have the courage to, to step up and pull the bandaid off. That's cool. I, I appreciate you actually steering the conversation to say, you know, not just about building the team, but actually having the hard conversations with your team. That's some places that we, you know, I typically don't go in the, these type of conversations. So thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about just a couple more questions as far as like overall insights, two questions to kind of end our time here. And then you can kind of plug for people to kind of get to know more about property management advisory. One of the things that we run, run across in the entrepreneurship space is pace. Everything's so fast. You always have responsibility. There's always things to be done. How do you maintain your entrepreneurship pace and recharge yeah that's that's a constant uh, constant battle you know looking back there's a, there's been a lot of days for me where i've you know from back when i was doing the real estate investing to running a property management business to even today you know just days where you get burnt out and you just kind of lose your passion for a second i like to just try to take some you know a day off just kind of disconnect for a bit to kind of you know, because the passion always comes back and it's just always like a, 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 you know, a day or two or something. And you, then you look back on it, you can't believe it. My, my go-to, if I really feel like I've got a blocker there is I, I keep extensive notebooks and I date the top page every time I write in it. And so I, oh, I like across the room, I've got this bookshelf that has like probably 50 of these notebooks. If someone like read through these, they'd probably think I was like a lunatic or something, but I, since I have those dates, what I like to do is go back to the, the original, like when the idea started forming. And I can usually remember the dates of that happening. And so I go back and I read like what got me passionate and excited and like started me on the path to begin with. And that almost always gets me back into the right uh, frame of mind. And so I think that's just like personally how I balance like that whole idea of like burnout. Uh, but um, sorry, what was like the original framework of the question that kind of took it 
on a little. No, I think you answered it. It was just kind of like talking about the pace and how do you how do you recharge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the pace piece would be for me. It's just processes and systems. Like when before we started the call, like I was updating our core processes, and so to me, there's just some sort of comfort in having like. I think of our business, our software business as like a factory. And I, Britain, my co-founder probably gets annoyed. I always use the analogy like way too much, but I think of everything like just like a fact, like our sales funnel drops it into production and then it moves down the line. And, and if I have the, the comfort and the, I know that all my steps are there and all we have to do is wake up each day and follow the steps that, that gives me this level of comfort. And I think allows me to, keep a solid pace because without that, there's going to always be those days where you over index to, Oh, we've got to do too much. We got to do then the too much end of the day, you know, it might take a week or two, but it usually results in the burnout. And then the too much sometimes also results in bad decisions and just wrong paths. And then you have to go back and fix it. Um, and so I just try to really stay, uh, stay focused on that factory line kind of mindset. Um, and that keeps my pace. I think strong, but I, I did not have, yeah, I love that it's savage to stage because you would have asked me that question five years ago. And I would have, I probably wouldn't have had an answer at all. So that's cool. All right. Last question. What sage advice would you give to a new entrepreneur? That's just launching. We're actually hiring someone that I would call a new entrepreneur. Um, and so my advice to him was, to get some experience, you know, at a company that was, you know, in a startup stage that he could gain experiences through and kind of go through the entrepreneurial boot camp without having to take as much risk. Um, and so I think that's the best advice I can give to, a, you know, an aspiring entrepreneur is to find someone or find, you know, find some sort of opportunity where, you can go out and you can take risks and you can innovate and you can be creative and you can really like sharpen your, your tools on your tool, tool belt that down the road you're going to need when you start your own venture. But, you know, I think the stat is something like with SaaS businesses, and I'm sure there's similar stats, just businesses in general, but it's like 0.4% or no 1% get to a million in recurring revenue and 0.4% make it to 10 million. And so it's just like such a high failure rate, like just statistically that like you've got to have some sort of experience or background or like sometimes it's just gumption and persistence. But um, yeah, I, I think it, you get a leg up. You, you probably double your chance maybe if you you already have a little bit of experience before you get started. That's great advice. I appreciate that. Okay. So if people wanted to get in contact with you, Matt, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So they can, they could send me an email. They'd easily be able to find my phone number if they really wanted to, but they could send me a message on LinkedIn. Uh, it's funny, the real estate world, it's like, oh, it's always there, but they could send me a message on LinkedIn um, or they could send an email to matt at propertymanagement.page. Cool. Well, Matt, I really, really enjoyed uh this interview. And uh, thank you so much uh, for being on here with us. Uh, Absolutely. This is fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.